It's real, isn't it? Well, is it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not for you. It is for me. It's real. And uh, that's a wonderful blessing. I asked Josh to sing that, and then he got sick. And then something else happened, and, and I think Ari got sick, and pe- everybody got sick. Everybody was sick. But now everybody's getting better, so that's good. Good to see you, Mr. Anderson. Welcome back. Glad you're here. John chapter 15 and verse number 13. This message will go along with the devotion that you can read later on the front of the bulletin. And it goes along with the devotion on the front of the bulletin, No Greater Love. That's the title of today's message. I forgot to put my little microphone on. Let me do that very quickly just in case I get to moving around just a little bit. Good to see all of you again. Thank you to our veterans. And we recognized them just a moment ago. And I hope I didn't miss anybody. Did I, did I get everybody? Because I don't want to... I don't want anybody to get missed on that. Any other, any other veterans that I missed? Okay, good. Glad that you've joined us. And we sure don't want um, our observation of and, and thanking our veterans to overshadow the real reason why we've come. And we've come to worship the Lord. I hope that you've come to do that. And, and, uh, but there's nothing wrong with being thankful uh, to folks who have kind of laid aside their lives. You know, not, not every... Not every person that, uh, that joins the military gives their last full measure. Uh, but, but the fact is, I, I think the veterans will understand this. I think everybody will understand this to a degree. When you make a decision to, whether you're drafted <laughs> or whether you are uh, enlist voluntarily, you're making a decision. And uh, that decision is uh, comes with a very stark reality that that you may not come back, you may not return, and so in in a lot of ways, uh, even and and the real heroes are the ones that didn't come back, right, or that came back and they've got the wounds and the medals uh, to to prove it. But uh, you know, all that being said. We thank our veterans because they did set aside their lives for a period of time. Again, whether they did that because they were conscripted or because they voluntarily joined our military, they, they set aside uh, some of their, uh, their, their civil liberties. I mean, think about it, um, uh, just the separation from family. There's sacrifices that are made, and we can be thankful for that uh, as we think about that this morning. But John 15, 13, Jesus is speaking here. And Jesus said in verse number 13 of John 15, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today as we consider thy word that, again, we don't, we don't want anything to overshadow the, the real reason why we've come here this morning, and that is to worship you and to hear from you. Lord, we're thankful for all that folks have done, all that people have done to uh, to give us this privilege of uh, assembly without fear and uh, freedom of speech and so forth. And we're grateful for that, Lord. And not only for us, but people groups all over the world have been uh, liberated. And, Lord, I, we're thankful for that. We're grateful for those who have, who have set aside parts of their life for that to be a possibility. Lord, I pray that you bless today in a very special way. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that we would come expecting to receive something of thee this morning. I pray for the lost sinner that has not yet trusted in Christ as their Savior, that today 
would be the day that they'd be saved. Lord, we're going to thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In John 15 13, Jesus is teaching here about the depth of his love. He said there's no greater way that a man can show his love than to lay down his life for his friends. One aspect of uh, which we find through Christ's teaching here is that love is demonstrable. Now, if you look that word up in the dictionary, you won't find it. I just made it up, demonstrable. In other, in other words, love is demonstrated by the degree of sacrifice that one is willing to make for another. That's what I mean when I say love is demonstrable. The most precious possession that a person has is life. We at Liberty Lake Baptist Church believe that in the sanctity of life, we believe that life begins at conception. That life is precious. And all life is precious. And, uh, and so we, we cherish that. We hold that in very high regard. And the most precious possession that a person has is life. It amazes me as I've been in different situations how that people will fight for life. It's just, it's an involuntary thing that people will struggle to take that one, one more breath, to, to stay alive for that just one second longer as I've stood beside the bedside of, of those who are transitioning from time into eternity. It's an amazing thing, that what happens there at that time. And, and life is precious. The most precious possession that we have is life. You might say it's time, and time is life. You know, the time that we have on this earth and the time that we have to love and to live and to laugh and to do all the things that we enjoy uh, in, in, in this part of, of, our, of our existence. And if a person is willing to lay down their life for another person or a cause or an ideal, that is love at its greatest. Love at its greatest. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Veterans Day is a way for us to thank those who have demonstrated their love by setting aside their own lives for the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness of others. They've sacrificed their own life. Not, not to say that uh, they all didn't come back, that they all died, but they made sacrifices in their life. They made sacrifices in their liberties. They, they've made sacrifices in their pursuit of happiness. If anybody doubts that, just go and spend a couple days at Paris Island or in Waukegan, Illinois, or wherever it is that the Air Force does their basic training. You know, Just go to basic training for about three days, and you'll be sitting there just like I think every other veteran sat there at one point in time and, and thought to themselves, what have I done? You know, and uh, so there's, there's a sacrifice of, of life and a sacrifice of liberty and a sacrifice of the pursuit of happiness. And some were conscripted into it. They had to do it. They were drafted into it. And we're grateful, though, that they were willing to, to go along with that. They were willing to, to serve their country. We're, we're thankful for uh, the largely or, or all voluntary force that we have today. We're grateful that there have been people all along the way since the foundation of this country who have been willing to make those types of sacrifices. And we remember that. And, and it's a way for us to thank them for having that great love and demonstrating that great love that they were willing to lay aside their lives 
and their liberty and their, and their pursuit of happiness uh, for, for others to have those, those very things. Now, as we talk about that, though, I would like to make a, a parallel between uh, some of the things that our veterans have done and really the, the one who set the standard because he was the one that set it. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And so I'd like to make some parallels there as we think about these things this morning. Number one, uh, I thought about how that, uh, just as I mentioned a moment ago, our veterans have served willingly, especially in the modern day and age. Uh, it's all voluntary force. There's nobody that's being forced into it. Uh, nobody that's been conscripted into it, uh, but uh, we're serving willingly. I thought about how that Christ served willingly. Christ served willingly. You know, God became a man without ever ceasing to be God. That's a marvelous thing. And I think sometimes that we we don't think deeply enough about that. What does that mean that God became a man without ever ceasing to be God? We know that the Bible tells us in John chapter one, the Word became flesh. The living word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God became a man without ever ceasing to be God. What does that mean? One of the things it means is that he set aside his robes of glory, his royal garments, and, and traded them for swaddling clothes. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4, we learn that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, right? And so he traded uh, those robes of glory, his garments, his, his royalty for swaddling clothes. And he didn't just do it for time. Really, he did it for eternity in so many different ways. He's bodily resurrected and seated at the right hand of the throne of God at this very moment, you know? making intercession for you and for I as, as the preaching of his word is going on. He's saying, oh, Father, help them. And, and the Holy Spirit is working with that to be sure that we get from God what we need to get from God. But he set his robes of glory aside, his royal garments, and traded them for swaddling clothes. He willingly came to this earth. In John chapter 10, uh, verse 17, Jesus said, I lay down my life, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Jesus willingly came to this earth. He was fashioned or suited up in humanity. That was his uniform in Philippians 2.8, we learn, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to, unto death, even the death of the cross. Here's something I find to be intriguing, something that I find uh, to be interesting and and thought-provoking, uh, the Lord's favorite title for himself seems to be the Son of Man. We find in the New Testament over 85 times it is recorded, just in the New Testament Gospels, as a matter of fact, that Jesus spoke of himself as the Son of Man. It seems that was his favorite title. He's God in the flesh, but he chose to call himself the Son of Man. And intriguing minds want to know why. And I asked myself that question, Lord, why? Why would you prefer to be called by that title? And I believe the answer is this, because he wanted us to know that he was on our side. He wanted us to know that he was one of us. The Bible says, for we have not an high priest who can, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. So why would it be? 
that the Lord of glory would be preferred to, to be called or like to call himself so often the Son of Man. The Son of Man. 85 times throughout the Gospels it's recorded that Jesus referred to himself as that. And I believe it's simply because he wanted us to know that we've got the right man on our side. I thought about Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In verse number two, one of the lines goes like this. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And so that's a wonderful thing, that Christ came to this earth and he served willingly. Uh, he didn't, wasn't forced to do it, but rather he chose to do it, to become the lamb, as we'll talk about in just a moment, slain from the foundation of the world. But you know what the irony in all of this is? Is that the commander-in-chief, the commander-in-chief, made himself of the lowest rank, and number two, moved into harm's way. He didn't have to do it that way, but he did. He chose the lowest, made himself of the lowest rank, humbled himself, the Bible says, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, the worst of the deaths, the, the worst way to die, the most miserable way to die. Christ moved into harm's way. Get this, Jesus knew, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew it. Now, I don't think, that is any stretch of the imagination that our veterans understand that when they raise their right hand and swear to defend this nation against all enemies, foreign and domestic, what that might mean. I mean, especially in some cases when they're drafted and there's a war that's going on and they understand that when they submit to the wishes of their government and and become part of the United States Armed Forces, they understand that when they might be sent to a place that is in harm's way, and they understand the implications of that, what that might mean, that, that they may not come back. But there's a chance of that. There's a chance that they might sacrifice limb. There's a chance that they might sacrifice life. And we get that. We understand that. And certainly that was the case. I wasn't drafted. I get accused sometimes of being a Vietnam veteran, and I just think that's because kids today don't, don't know their history very well. Good night. I'm only 50 years old. 50, 51? Am I 51 now? I'm only 51 years old. But I, when I joined the, the Navy, you know, I'll tell you the honest truth. I, I love my country. Uh, I have my grandfather and my father served in the United States military at different times. Grandpa was in World War II in the United States Navy. My father was a, is a Vietnam veteran. And other uncles and so forth, great uncles and other relatives. And so I'm proud of my country. I was raised to love God, love my country, and I do. And so when I joined the military, there's no doubt I did it because I wanted to serve my country. But the honest truth is, is that the uh, recruiter's line was shorter than the unemployment line, right? And that's the honest truth. I, I, I had gone to unemployment to file for unemployment because the company I worked for went bankrupt. And so I showed up for work Monday morning and the doors were chained shut. And on the way back home, passing through Columbia, Tennessee, I stopped at the unemployment office. That's the only thing I could think to do, that get, that, get the paperwork going and then go find a job, you know, and hopefully everything will work out right. And I pulled up to the unemployment office, big old governmental-looking brick building with no windows on it, you know, typical government building. And the line was wrapped around the corner of the building. They hadn't opened the doors yet. And the last guy that was standing in line had a jacket on and it said, U.S. Navy. 
That was about as much thought as I gave to join the military. I said, you know what? I bet the line at the recruiter is shorter. I, walk, I drove from the unemployment office to the recruiter's office, and I walked in the recruiter's office and said, I want to join the Navy. And the recruiter almost fell out of his chair, and they were looking to uh, get guys for the submarine forts. This is, you can't make this stuff up. They were looking to beef up the submarine force. He said, well, do you want to be on a submarine? And I said, well, sure, why not? That sounds good. He said, it's an extra $75 a month. I said, I'm in. You know, I'll take that 75 bucks a month, you know. Hazardous duty pay. And that was the beginning of my, uh, you know, all the process and going through and taking the tests and getting the medical examinations and then finally standing there at the MEPS station, Nashville, Tennessee, standing with you know, somebody there and swearing in to, to, to defend this country, being shipped off to Waukegan, Illinois. And I remember the bus pulled up. I think all the buses there pull up at 2 o'clock in the morning or something like that. They don't want them getting there during a normal time because people might actually th be able to think through things and run, you know. And there's yellow footprints on the sidewalk. And I thought, well, what are those yellow footprints for? I found out pretty quick, and I learned a few new words within a few. I, I, didn't, even, I, had to, I didn't have a dictionary, but I, I thought, I've got to look that word up. I've never heard that one before. I've been called a lot of names, but that's a new one. I didn't know, what is that? I had to think through it, you know. And so forth, and all, then it all begins. And, but, you know, even, even in that situation, I knew. Even though it was, you know, largely for the reason that the recruiter's line was shorter than the unemployment line, I understood. I, I got it. And I understood that there might be a chance I wouldn't come back. Well, shortly after I enlisted, the, the guy by the name of Saddam Hussein started acting up over in, you know, in the, in the Gulf region. And so, uh, you know, the history of that, where I ended up. And, uh, you know, I knew there was a chance. We were relatively disconnected, but there was a chance. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew it. He knew exactly what was going to take place. And matter of fact, in Matthew 16, verse 21, the Bible tells us from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. He knew it. He knew exactly what was going to take place. The Word of God tells us that that, that decision was actually made before the footings of the world were poured. Revelation 3, 13, 18, Jesus is referred to as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He knew it. He already knew it. God's always before. And he knew it. He knew death was coming. In John 12, 27, it's recorded that Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. And Christ positioned himself and willingly allowed Pilate's order to be carried out. And knowing the risk, he didn't cower from the task. He didn't shirk from his duty. And he didn't abandon his post. And he didn't abandon his mission. Looking the enemy of death straight in the eye, he stayed the course. And number three, remained faithful to the finish and gave his last full measure. They said of Jesus as he hung there on the cross, he saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he'll have him. He said, I am the Son of God. You know, the funny thing is that he could have come down. He could have. But he chose not to. 
He remained faithful to the finish and finished by saying, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost, bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. Had Christ not remained faithful to the finish, we would have lives without direction, no hope, living under the tyranny of sin and the bondage and the dictatorship of the flesh. But he remained faithful to the finish so that we might be made free. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free, Paul said, from the law of sin and death. It's because Christ remained faithful to the finish so that we can be free from the penalty and bondage of sin, free to receive the gift of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I had this thought as I, as I wrote these things down. I the, talked about the wages of sin, and, and somebody might you know, consider what the Bible says about salvation and so forth, and they might ask the question, why would a loving God send anybody to hell? Why would God, a loving God do that? You know what the simple answer to that is? God doesn't send anybody to hell. They're already on their way there. That's the honest answer. But God did send his son to stand in harm's way and to finish the work that needed to be done so that mankind might be redeemed unto himself. You see, the wages of sin is death. And by the way, we're sinners by nature and by practice. We're born and with a spiritual birth defect. We've got a body and a, and a soul, a mind, emotion, a will, but we've got a dead spirit when we're born. That thing which allows us to walk and to worship with God, it's, 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 a, it's, it's stillborn. It's not there. It needs to be made alive. And, and uh, it can't be made alive and, until a person places their faith and trust in Christ alone. And then the Bible says that that spirit is quickened. It's made alive. And they're born again into the, into the three-in-one image of God with a body, a soul, and the living spirit. The wages of sin is death. It's the, it's the payment for sin. It's, the, it's our just deserts uh, for the fact that we're sinners by nature, but we have to include this. We're sinners by practice as well. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If we say we have no sin, the word of God says we're liars. And we do not the truth. If we say that we have not sinned, as a matter of fact, it goes on to say we make God a liar because we've all sinned. It doesn't take us long to figure out that, I don't think. You know, we could go to the Ten Commandments and run through those. The Ten Commandments were given to us to show us our need for a Savior. The tenth one is thou shalt not covet. Well, how many people have coveted? How many people have coveted even this morning when you, uh, you know, maybe you saw a nice car uh, while you're coming into church. Well, I'd like to have that car. That's covetousness, you know. Thou shalt not uh, bear false witness. That means to tell a lie. Well, how many people have told a lie? Everybody's lying. We come forth from the womb, the Word of God says, telling lies. We're telling lies. You say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean come forth from room telling lies? Baby tells lies? If you've ever had children, you know they tell lies. They'll make you think they're choking to death. They're going to die. They're starving, and they're just wail and fuss and carry on, and really all they want is to be held. 
And they'll, they'll get their way. They'll manipulate mom and dad by lying if they have to, right? They'll use every means possible. Yeah, we, we're liars. The Bible says, uh, thou shalt not steal. And yet, you know, every one of us, truth be told, is probably stolen. We've ever cheated on a test, we stole somebody else's answer. You know, it's very simple to see that throughout life. Yes, we, we're sinners by nature, but the truth is we're sinners by practice because we've sinned. We've sinned against the holy and righteous God. And the payment for that sin is death. It's separation. It's a, it's a separation of, from God to walk with God, to worship with God and spend eternity with God. And what needs to happen is that that, that debt needed to be paid. And so God knew that and Christ came and stood in harm's way and was faithful to finish and gave his last full measure. Christ remained faithful to the finish so that we could have eternal life and abundant life. I, I thought about those two different things. Christ remained faithful to the finish so that we may live this life to the fullest. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, The thief, thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, eternal life is... Is, a, is the benefit of salvation. It's wonderful, but it doesn't start when we leave time and enter eternity. Christ wants us to have abundant life now. He wants us to have joy in life now. He wants us to experience his presence now. So he remained faithful to the finish so that we could have that kind of abundant life. Of course, we mentioned it a moment ago, Christ remained faithful to the finish so that we could have eternal life. John chapter 10 in verses 28 through 30, if you'd like to turn there, keep your hand there in John chapter 15, but John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, the word of God says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So Christ we see remain faithful to the finish so that we can have eternal life. We'll never perish. No one is able to pluck us out of his hand once we belong to him. The Bible says we're all the children of God. How? By faith in Christ Jesus. It's the only way. Jesus was pretty confident in that. He said in John 14, 6, it's recorded, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's by Christ or it's not at all. So Christ remained faithful to the finish so that we could have eternal life. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He, he took our account upon Himself so that we might be able to put His account on us and be quickened in our spirit and made alive and born again and have the ability to walk with God and worship God and to spend eternity in the presence of God. Now, we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude. I think, to those who have willingly stood between their loved ones in the war's desolation, as the song goes. But even greater, we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to the one who stands in the gap so that all may be free and be reconciled unto God. The one who set the standard for the greatest expression of love. And I believe God did that because man could, think of, could not think of anything greater, a greater expression. So God showed man the greatest expression of love. Jesus taught it in John 15, 13, when he said, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. 
I told you to keep your hand in John 15. I hope that you did. If not, get back there quickly. I want to show you something. John 15, 13. Jesus said, John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now look at verse 14. It's recorded that Jesus continued, Ye are my friends. And then we see a conditional statement. If. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. That's conditional. So something needs to happen. He said, Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if. If. You do whatsoever I command you. What has Christ commanded us to do that we might be his friend? That we might be one of the recipients of this great love. And the first thing that we need to obey and do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he came. He, came, I, he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's the first thing. If we, if we want to be the recipients of that great love, we've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to take God at His word, right? That's what it means to believe. And by faith, place our, our trust in Christ alone as our only hope of relationship with God and a home in His presence for eternity. To believe. To believe. Believe in the person of Christ. I'd be so bold as to say that it is impossible to have a relationship with God apart from believing that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's it. It's impossible. They have a relationship with God apart from believing, taking God in His word, that Jesus is God, that God became a man and, and without ever ceasing to be God. And in that man's body, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, shed His blood, died, was buried, rose again, and has ascended to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God where He makes intercession on behalf of you and on behalf of me right this very moment. Bodily resurrected from the dead. But it, to start off, it is impossible to have a relationship with God apart from believing that Jesus is God in the flesh. He can't, he can't be just another man because then his payment wasn't enough. He would have had his own issues to pay for. But we believe in the person of Christ. We believe in the finished work of Christ, that Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead according to the Scriptures, how that his blood satisfied the wrath of God. It satisfied the wrath of God. The Bible word is the, it became, he became the propitiation. He was, he was the one that shed his blood. And that blood was the satisfaction. It was the payment that satisfied the wrath of God because we learned from the scriptures that without shedding of blood is no remission. Blood had to be shed. It was the picture that God set way back in the Garden of Eden when he, when he slew those animals and covered Adam and Eve's nakedness with those coats of skin of those innocent animals that had to shed their blood to cover the sins. picture of covering the sins of mankind. It's even greater that when Christ shed his blood, what the blood of bulls and goats could not do, the blood of Christ was able to do in the removal, complete removal of sin for all those that will believe in his person, and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Not because they were born into the right family. Not because 
they've done the, uh, more good works than they've done evil works. Not because they were baptized as an infant or because they've followed the sacraments or anything else, but because God wanted it that way and from the foundation of the world, that was the plan. It wasn't plan B. God always knew what was going to happen. Jesus came and he remained faithful to the finish so that we could have what God intended for every person on this, in this world to have, and that is a relationship with him, to walk with God, to worship God, to spend eternity with God. And so that's the first thing that God wants us to do, that Christ has commanded us to do. And if we'll believe in this person, if we'll believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, if we'll believe that his shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection was what was required to satisfy the wrath of God and, and to resurrect our poor dead spirits, if we'll just believe, take God at his word, simply that, just believe. The word of God says that we can, we can be recipients of that great love. Greater love hath no man than this, a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, you may be watching on Facebook Live, listening on dial-up or in the building today, and you might say, I've done that. Thank you, Pastor. I, I'm, I'm thankful for, uh, for what I've heard this morning, but I've done that. What, what is the invitation for me? Well, the invitation for the believer is then this, to lay down our lives so that others may be liberated from the bondage of sin and death. I think we're all familiar with what Paul wrote to the saints at Rome under the divine inspiration of God in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when Jesus said, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you, Christ has commanded the believer to be a living sacrifice. You know, I find that interesting. I find that interesting that God, I'm not aware, I should say, I'm not aware of any place in the scripture. I could be wrong. But I'm not aware of any place in the scripture where God asks us to die for him. He asks us to live for him. He asks us to live for him so that, so that others might be saved from the tyrannical rule of their flesh, and of Satan, and of sin, and of death. We need to go, to go to battle for those that are under bondage of the adversary. That, that's the invitation for the believer this morning is that we would we would be willing to to lay down our lives to to swear to defend you know to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ maybe there'd be somebody here this morning who's not yet trusted Christ as their savior and they would want to be the friend of Christ they would want to do what Jesus said and they would place their faith and trust in Christ alone as their only hope of a relationship with God and a home in his presence for eternity. Or maybe there'd be somebody here this morning that would say, you know what, I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to battle for those under the bondage of the adversary. Well, now is the time. It's, it's not time to go on liberty. It's not time to take leave. It's time to engage in the battle. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, always take the right position, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Would you join me this morning? Would you join me and, and, and place your faith and trust in Christ alone? I did that on September 16th, 1979. I trusted in Christ alone. Would you join me? Would you do that this morning if you haven't already done that? And maybe you're here this morning, you've already trusted in Christ as your Savior. Would you join me in doing this and putting on that whole armor, not just today, but every day? And even, even coming to the Lord this morning during invitation time, say, God, help me to remember this tomorrow morning when I get up to go to work. That it wouldn't just be something that I'm inspired and encouraged about on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all through the week. Oh, God, help me take a stand for thee. Join me. Join me in doing that. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The invitation song will play. And I want you to respond. If the Lord spoke to you, did the Lord speak to you? If he didn't speak to you, why not? If he did speak to you, what is he telling you to do? What is he saying? And I'd like for you to just allow the Lord to do his perfect work in your heart in your life in these next few moments you do as Christ leads you to do